0: Sun a sudden winter decided to hit ASAP, so uh, feeling brisk, hoodie weather, I like hoodie weather, so get to snuggle up and feel all warm, and so glad that you were here this morning. If I've not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Adrian Pena, I have the opportunity to serve as the interim pastor here at Firewheel, and we believe that God has you here today for a specific purpose and a specific plan, so if you are joining us online, welcome as well. So today, we are going to win our second to last week in our sermon series that we started a number of weeks ago called Riding the Waves. So just a reminder about what this series is about. So we're looking at various different emotions that we all feel that we can ride them like a wave or we can crash under them if we don't respond to them in a healthy and uh, biblical way. And so we have looked at things like fear. We've looked at regret. We looked at depression. Last week, we looked at worry, which we'll summarize really quick. Today, we're going to look at doubt. And then next week, we're going to finish off by looking at grief. And it's a very perfect and opportune time to talk about grief, especially in relationship to the holidays coming up. So we're going to talk about that next week. So just a reminder, last week we talked about worry, and we talked about how worry is a thief. It really steals from us. It steals from us a sense of God's peace. It steals for us a a sense of uh, that God is with us when we are worrying. And we, we were encouraged from Philippians chapter 4 to be anxious for nothing. I know that that is a lot easier said than done, but according to the scripture, that's what we are to do. So, just as a way of reminder, our one true statement from last week was that worry misdirects our focus and robs us of God's peace. Worry misdirects our focus and robs us of God's peace. So my challenge to you all as you walked out uh, last week was to write down your worries and to pray and cast them to God and release those to him because he does tell us to cast our cares and burdens upon him for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And So I hope that you were able to do that this past week and acknowledge those things and be able to release them to the good hands. Forget all state. We're talking about God. He is the good hands in which we want to release those things into. So today we're going to shift our focus this morning and talk a little bit about doubt. Now before I define what doubt means to me in this passage and what we're going to talk about, let me go ahead and just say uh, like a, a disclaimer at the forefront. Is that number one is that doubt is not sinful. It's not sinful to have doubt. As a matter of fact, if you are a believer, I would say that it is okay at times and we have all experienced times when we have questioned our faith doubt is not sinful but it potentially can lead to things that are dangerous okay it's not sinful in and of itself in fact doubt can be a catalyst for spiritual growth did you know that sometimes when we're asking questions and we're asking questions that are hard questions about our faith if they are actually pushing us toward jesus and we are looking to the scripture if we're looking to other christians to help us if we're looking to god to find those answers it can actually deepen our faith Or it can be a dangerous thing that often leads to the flip side of that is it could lead to unbelief, okay? So I just want to put that in the forefront of your mind. So what is doubt? Let's define it. So doubt is a feeling of uncertainty. It is the lack of confidence that something may be true. Let me say that again. So doubt is a feeling of uncertainty. It is the lack of confidence that something may be true. Now how many of you here today would raise your hand and say that you've ever experienced doubt before, right? So I doubt you are telling the truth if you did not raise your hand. <laughs> I have a very big lack of confidence in you not raising your hand, okay? Uh, that being said, is that how many of you, if you were honest, would raise your hand and say that you've ever had doubts about your faith? Amen. There's not, and like I said, there's nothing wrong with, I'm, I'm going to... I hopefully after we get through this passage today that there'll be some encouragement to you about how very natural that is for all of us, okay? So let me start off with a little story and then we're going to find ourselves, if you want to open your Bible there, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. We're going to skip around those two chapters, a very common story, but we're going to find ourselves in Numbers chapter 13 and 14 if you want to pull it up on your digital device, your Bible, whatever, that's where we're going to be. But let me start off with a little story. In the book, The Case for Faith, Lee Strobel, the author, tells the story of two evangelists that were very good friends. One of them was named Billy Graham. The other one was named Charles Templeton. A name that you may not as be familiar with. As a matter of fact, most people believe that Templeton was kind of like he was the predecessor almost to Billy Graham. And that many people believe that Templeton was kind of even a better preacher and that he was going to go on to do great things. But we're going to see how their story diverges a little bit. Strobel tells how in 1949, the then 30-year-old Billy Graham struggled with the fundamental issue if he could fully trust what the Bible was telling him. Graham said he felt as if he were being stretched on a rack. Pulling him toward God was a woman by the name of Henrietta Mears, the bright and compassionate Christian educator and founder of the ministry Gospel Light, if you've ever heard of Gospel Light. And yanking him the other way was his dear friend and preaching colleague, Charles Templeton. This was before the Los Angeles Crusade, which would open the door for Graham's worldwide ministry. If you know anything about church history, this launched Billy Graham into the national spotlight when he did his Los Angeles Crusade. Graham searched the scripture for answers. He prayed and he pondered. Finally, in a heavy, heart, a heavy hearted walk in the moonlit San Bernardino Mountains, everything came to a climax. Finally, uh, Gripping his Bible, Graham dropped to his knees and confessed that he could not answer some of the philosophical and psychological questions that Templeton and others were raising. Quote, I was trying to be on the level with God, but something remained unspoken, he wrote. At last, the Holy Spirit freed me to say it. Father, I am going to accept this as thy word, talking about his Bible, by faith. I am going to allow my faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubt, and I will believe that this is to be your inspired word. Templeton, on the other hand, allowed his reasoning to chase him away from faith. Templeton's doubts led him away from God and when Graham's led him toward God. In his autobiography, sad, his autobiography was called Farewell to God. In Templeton's autobiography, he talks about Alzheimer's disease with great detail and he concluded that Alzheimer's would not exist in a world where there was a loving God. And because it exists that... This was a persuasive piece of evidence to him that God does not. Templeton would suffer and die from Alzheimer's and his circumstances fueled his doubt. Doubt finds its source in our circumstances. It finds its source in our intellects. It finds its source in our spiritual life. Sometimes it finds its source in our hearts. The Bible never says it's wrong to have questions. As with all other emotions we have explored in this series to this point, how we respond to those questions is ultimately the key. So here's my one true statement for you this week, and it comes from Dr. Ray Pritchard. Very simple, but sums up very nicely. So I like the way that this said it. It said, act on your faith and not your doubts. Act on your faith and not your doubts. So we're going to look at a familiar story, as I said, in Numbers 13 and 14 that's going to walk us through this kind of reality. We're going to see in this story three basic movements. We're going to see that there is a mission that is given. There's a mission given to a group of spies to spy out the promised land. And there's two different reports that are going to come. One is going to be a negative report and then another is going to be a positive report. And they are experiencing the same thing and seeing the same thing. Yet some see with eyes of doubt, others see with eyes of faith. Okay. So let's look at Numbers chapter 13 starting at verse 1. And let's look at the mission. So Numbers 13 verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am given to the people of Israel. For each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. Jump down to verse 16. Same chapter. These were the names of the men whom Moses sent out to spy the land. Moses called Heshia the son of Nun, Joshua. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country verse 18 and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak whether they are few or many and whether they uh, whether the lands that they dwell in is good or bad and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds continuing on and whether the land is rich or poor and whether there are trees in it or not be of good courage and bring some fruit of the land now the time was the season for the first ripe grapes so they went out and spied the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near Lebo Hamath. All right. So what is this mission? This mission is a recon mission. They are sent to go and basically give a report. Now, interesting thing about this report is that God already told them in the passage that I read to you early on that, that the land would be theirs. And it has already been promised to them generationally anyway. So he's telling them, I want you to go spy out the property and the land that basically I've already promised to give you. That's really important when you see the way in which they respond, okay? So this is a recon mission. I just want you to see, is the land good? I want you, and I think that God purposely sent out these spies so that way we could see the response and he could respond then to that, but then also for them themselves to be able to see what God promised and what he said about this land is true, that it's a land flowing with milk and honey, Okay. So this recon mission is the mission that they have. But we're going to get two different reports. So here's report number one. Report number one is people who only see obstacles. People who only see obstacles. Look at verse 25. At the end of 40 days they returned from spying out the land. They came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. As Moses told them, bring some of the fruit of the land. Verse 27, and they told him, we came to the land which you have sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, should highlight that, like verse 28. However, I believe everything you said, Moses, and what you, we, we witnessed it ourselves. However, or but, but, there's a but coming. The people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Verse 29. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb, The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. Jump down to verse 31. Then the man who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against these people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the lands that they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. That's a little exaggerating. Devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw are great in height. Verse 33. And there we saw the Nephilim, the, son of Enek, the sons of Enoch who come from the Nephilim. And we have seen to, ourse- seen to ourselves like grasshoppers and so we seem to them. Lots of stuff to unpack here, okay? So there's a number of different ites. All these enemies that if you read Old Testament history are really enemies of Israel. And they're all surrounding in this land. This, this is true. That, there's nothing false about the report in which they give. But remember what God had said. God had already promised them this land. So he's telling them to spy out something that he already promised them. The people are anxiously awaiting 40 days. This is a 40-day recon mission. So they come back 40 days. I can imagine how disappointed the people were to hear this report after they came back. So they went into the land and confirmed it was as God said. But look again at verse 27. And they told him, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey and, it's, and this is its fruit. Amen. It's good. Everything you promised God is good. This is a good land. It's got, good, it's got everything that we need. However, that's where doubt creeps in. Verse 28, right at the beginning. However, all this that you promised and as good and beautiful as it is and we can confirm that truth, we can confirm that report. However, that's where doubt begins to creep in. Let me give you a principle here. Doubt is often a lack of confidence or assurance that God will keep his promises. Doubt is often a lack of confidence or assurance that God will keep his promises. God promised them the lands. They come back and say, this is a good land, exactly like you promised God. And then they come back with a reward, but, but we can't take the land because they're big and strong and they're more in number than we are. So that's their report. They're saying, no matter the fact that you promised me, but I want you to remember something about these people. These are the same people that see God do miraculous miracles on a day-by-day-by-day-by-day by day by day by day basis. It's funny because I hear some people say sometimes, well, Pastor Pina, if God just did miracles like he did back in the Old Testament or whatever, people would just believe. These are people who witness miracles all the time, and here they're saying, after they got the promise from God that this is their land, that God, we can't take that land because those people, they're big. They're big and they're scary. And since they're big and they're scary, we can't we can't take them, we can't fight them, we can't deal with that. They're giants in the land, okay? I'm not saying that to mitigate what they're their experienced because I believe we would have probably said some of the same things. But here's the thing about doubt, doubt only sees the obstacle. Here's a group of men who knew what God had promised, knew that that was their land, witnessed these miracle after miracle, and yet this negative report spirals downhill very quickly. They begin naming all these armies, speaking how fortified the cities are and reasons why this can't happen, but there is no mention of God. You notice that? Oh, well, they got fortified cities. They devoured their inhabitants. They're giants. We got all these people in the land. There's no mention of God. All of a sudden, he gets lost in this bad report. Nobody's sticking up until we see later those who are saying, No, God's promised us this land. They forgot who's fighting on their side. Last time I checked, it doesn't matter how big your army is. If the Lord of Armies, the Lord of Hosts is on your side, you in the majority, not the minority. If he's on your side, you got the advantage, the tactical advantage. And you can guarantee the the outcome. All right? You know that the outcome is sure. Obstacles are meant to be overcome. Obstacles become stepping stones for faith to be exercised. But here's the thing we have to ask ourselves when we look at this story. Is that doubt really comes down to it's a choice. So I want to ask you a very bold question today. Do you believe in what God promises? I'm not telling you to just answer that. Amen, I hope that you do believe that. But do you genuinely, sincerely, in your heart of hearts, believe that you can take God at his word? If you believe that you can take God at his word, just like these people, we have to believe everything about our faith is based upon the validity and based upon the trustworthiness of the God to whom we place our faith. Everything about it. We're banking on his promises. We're banking on it because he's faithful and he's good. We're banking on it because he's shown himself to be trustworthy. I may have some questions and you may have some questions and doubts we all raised our hands but my question to us then is do our doubts lead us to prayer do they lead us to reflection do they lead us to examination do they lead us into diving into the scriptures do they lead us into ultimately a trust Do they lead us to at the point where our rational minds cannot get to and comprehend because your ways are not my ways? Can I be able to say with confidence that I'm going to trust you, God, because your ways are not my ways, but I know you are trustworthy? If you read the book of Job, Job, we always like to read that book, and it's a book about suffering, right? And here's this righteous man who gets tempted by the enemy, who God gives permission to the enemy to be able to tempt him. He seemingly loses everything, and the book ends... In a way that is very uh, unsatisfactory, let's say it that way. Job starts questioning God and when he questions God, God basically says, who are you? Were you there when I planted the heavens? From from chapter 38 to chapter 40, the end of the book, it's basically God going on this, not a rant, but basically God's showing who he is. Statement after statement after statement after statement. And basically at the beginning of chapter 40, Job just says, I throw my hands up, I trust you. He doesn't get the answer that he's necessarily looking for, but he's willing to at that point just say, I trust you, God. I'm willing to rest in it. The Bible is literally built upon the basis of God's promises. Your daily provision is promised to you. Your salvation is a promise. Your eternal destiny is all based upon God's promises. So we come back and we cycle back over and over and over and over again to the promises of God. And we believe them to be trustworthy and true. These guys were willing to stay in the wilderness and to miss out on the promised land because they wanted to act on their doubt and not act on faith. Even though they had a clear promise from God, even though they witnessed miracles on a day-to-day basis. Please hear when I say this, your doubts can keep you in the wilderness, but faith will take you to the promised land. Your doubt will keep you there, all right. But if you want to go where God wants to take you, if you ultimately want to go where God is working in your life to take you, where where he's making you who he wants you to be, you have to exhibit faith. There will come a point where your mind will be able to not have all the answers. We have to believe by faith. That's a supernatural working. Doubt will always keep you in the wilderness, but faith will take you to the promised land. So we get a second report. Thank God for a second report. We have some people willing to stick stick up and basically tell and remind everybody of God's faithfulness. So those, there are some who doubt sees only obstacles. But there are others, when they look at doubt, they see an opportunity for God to move. They see opportunity. Verse 30, chapter 13. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it. For we are able to overcome it. I love that. Caleb's like, hey, shut this noise down. Shut this chatter down. We can take this land. God promised us this land. Let's go take it right now. He's ready. He's ready for action. Jump to chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 5 says this. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh... Uh, my mouth does funny things when I try to say that. I promise I didn't curse. So, um, and Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of the other guy. Who were among those who had spied out the land tore their clothes. Verse 7... And he said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, I love this, the land to which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. Amen. Gives a good report again about how good the land is. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, the land that flows with milk and honey. Verse 9, only do not rebel against God. I love that. He bows up and he says, if God delights, if God promised he will give us this land, just don't rebel against him. So only don't rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bread for us. What an interesting illustration. They are to be consumed like bread, right? Their protection is removed for them and the Lord is with us, do not fear them. Then the, to, uh, then the congregation said to stone them with stones. Listen, these people still, their leader, their two leaders, Moses and Caleb, are tearing their clothes, and they're, you know, this is a sign of, like, laments, and they're, the you know, and then this report comes in, Joshua and Caleb, other respected leaders, they're speaking up now, and the people want to stone them. And then the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. You would think that once the Lord's presence appeared, at that point they'd drop on their knees and they would get it right. Caleb, Moses, Aaron, and Joshua represent the minority voice which appeals to the promise of God and his faithfulness. Where others saw obstacles, they saw an opportunity. They saw God being able to move and do incredible things that would shake literally this nation. Joshua tells them, do not fear the people of the land, verse 9. It's so interesting how a lot of these different emotions we have talked about are very much in the same kind of family. Fear is often a disguise for doubt. Fear is often a disguise for doubt because doubt is a lack of confidence and assurance that God will keep his promises and you know what fear says? God will not protect me. Doubt says God won't keep his promises but then fear comes along and it basically says God's not going to protect me. God's going to leave me out on my own. God really doesn't want me to do this. God really didn't say to do this. He's going to leave me out on my own. So what is the proper response? Here's a principle for you. Faith is the proper response to doubt. Faith is the proper response to doubt. Faith involves work. It's active, it's a verb, it's an active trust. In this case, it's an active trust in God. If I can say it this way, ladies and gentlemen, under the sound of my voice today, God is not shaken by your questions. God is a big boy, he has his big boy pants on, he can handle it. He doesn't have a problem when his people have genuine questions, when, when they're seeking them out, when they're wanting to know. He's okay even with our lament. He's okay at times when we are crying out and when we, it sounds like, you read the Psalms, it sounds like they're complaining to God. He's okay, he's not shaking. But there will come a point that you and I have to recognize that your questions may not be satisfied this side of heaven. And and in all sincerity, your questions may not be satisfied even when you get to heaven. God doesn't owe you and I an explanation. Last time I checked, the God of the universe doesn't bow to me. So he doesn't owe you an explanation. All right? So no matter what your worldview is... No matter if you came into this place today and you say, you know what, Pastor Pena, I don't know about that whole Jesus thing. You know, a friend invited me to church today, so I wanted to check it out, and so I came, you know, and it's cool, and I'm just kind of figuring this thing out, and I don't really know if I believe God exists or anything like that. It doesn't matter whether you consider yourself to be an agnostic, the potential of God being there, or whether you consider yourself to be an atheist and you don't believe that God exists. Every single person has to exhibit faith in their life. Think about it for a moment. If faith is trust an active trust that every person has to exhibit faith I'm gonna give you an example if you're here today and if you were an atheist let me flesh this out for you an atheist believes there's no God but even an atheist must exhibit faith how do they exhibit faith an atheist says there's no way we can prove, prove that God definitively exists however there is no way that we can disprove that God doesn't indeed not exist so you're still trusting in some way to Uh, Solidify the thing in which you believe you must have faith that your view is the accurate one even though you can't fully provide all the answers just like I can't fully provide all the answers there are some big questions to where I am comfortable in saying the Bible doesn't really give us clear indication about that I'm not going to speak where there's not clarity but there comes a point where I trust and I believe Every person exhibits faith on a regular basis. I've been a Christian for 22 years. I've done 12 plus years of theological training. I have been a pastor now for eight plus years. And still I have questions. But what do my questions do? My questions lead me into examination, to reflection, deep prayer they lead me into asking God to asking others who are more seasoned in the faith than me they ultimately lead me to its end to not question my trust in God but then if there is mystery and I don't understand I, st- I go back to what I know and what I know is my God's faithful so I trust him so I trust him Caleb Moses Aaron and Joshua act on their faith instead of their doubts some of you here today may say pastor faith is not easy Amen, I agree with you. I believe in Christ, yet I struggle to believe at times. I would say join the club, you're in good company. The Bible's full of a number of different people who I think exhibited at times questions, and questions were okay. You may have heard of a little guy by the name of Abraham. He's kind of important in the Bible. We used to call him Abram. But then he got the name Abraham, father of many nations. Well, did you know at one time he laughed at the promise of God that at 100 years old he would have a child who God promised to him would be the promised child through whom the nation of Israel would descend and through whom all the stars in the heaven and the sands on the seas would represent and through that lineage the nations and the whole worlds will be blessed. Yet he laughed at God. How am I as an old man... And she owed, too, God, how are we going to do this thing on the natural? This thing ain't going to work. Right? I'm just saying. So, think about that what you owe. But David was appointed king. David was appointed king and for 15 to 17 years, from the time he's appointed a king, he's running for his life like a fugitive. From Saul I can imagine David probably had some times he's saying God what the heck is going on am I really gonna be king this guy's gonna kill me sometime he's gonna kill me he is after my life he follows me everywhere and this guy wants to kill me and he has the means to do it Noah never saw rain and yet he continued to build the ark I'm sure with his ridicule and all the things he experienced that at times he may have had some doubts and we also always give Thomas the disciple a bad rap, who had spent years with Jesus, witnessed all these miracles, and when the report came to him from the disciples that they had seen the risen Jesus, he said, "I am not going to believe until I see, and I can see the prints in his hand and the spear pierced to his side." But what happened after he saw? He repented. Well, he didn't. After he saw, we see that his faith is changed, and he believes. He walks in trust. Jesus continually spoke of his disciples numerous times over and over again and questioned their faith. He said, Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. I think Jesus could say that to us today as well. Sometimes we forget that the Bible's not written to robots. The Bible is written to real people, flesh and blood, individuals just like you who struggle with some of the same things just like you and I did. Had their own thoughts, their own ideas, had their own cultural experiences, had their own things that they were wrestling through in their minds and their hearts. Flesh and blood individuals. That's what I love about the scripture because it's very real. Sometimes I feel like when I'm reading the psalms or sometimes I'm reading these accounts of the disciples, I feel like I'm reading somebody's personal diary. I'm like, God, man, you put it in there just to see the lowest of lows and the highest of highs at times. But the question is, is when we doubt, does it lead us to Jesus or does it lead us away from Jesus? There's a difference. Let me finish here before we summarize. There's a difference between doubt and unbelief. There's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt means I have questions, but those questions, in theory, if I'm a believer, those questions then lead me to examination, to prayer, to reflection, to all those things. They lead me to God. Unbelief says I am unwilling to believe this to be true. There's a big difference. It's taking my questions to the next level and basically saying, God, I don't trust you. There's a difference between unbelief and doubt. So, are you going to be someone... When doubt comes, only sees the obstacles, only sees the questions that you cannot wrestle with and get beyond. Or are you going to see like Caleb, Joshua, are you going to see it as an opportunity to exercise faith and to see God move? So let's summarize this for you. Our one true statement was that to act on your faith and not your doubts. As we work through this passage today, we saw that there was a mission, they had a recon mission. A mission to spy out a land that was already promised to them. And we see two different reports that come back. A report from one group that says, we can't take this land. We don't believe it. We can't do it because they're fortified cities and they got big giant armies and all these other different things. Even though God had promised them. Their faith was being quenched out by their doubts. It would, they would have been content to stay in the wilderness. And they would have missed the opportunity for the promised land. But then the second report comes, those who see with eyes of faith to see an opportunity. That are okay and we have to be okay to see with eyes of faith to sit in and to trust that. That every question will not be answered but the question is will we still believe and will we act in faith and not in doubt. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward and as they do that I want to give you a couple practice points. Number one is admit your doubts and bring them to God. One of my favorite stories in all of scripture is Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9, there is a father who brings his son to Jesus who's demon-possessed and he is raw with emotion and he makes one of the most critical statements in all of the Bible that I love. He says this, Jesus, he says, I believe but help my unbelief. It's funny how faith faith and doubt can exist at the same time as we are struggling and walking through. So my encouragement to you is to admit your doubts and bring them to God. Like I said, God can handle them. God can handle your questions. Tell them to a pastor, to a friend, anybody mature in faith to help you walk out. And then go back to what you know. Trust God to be able to walk with you in the midst of your doubt. Because doubt is the battlefield of our minds. Let us align our minds and hearts with God and with his character. So let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to get into your word, and I pray that some of the sound of my voice today, Lord, may doubt even your existence. And Lord, I pray that they would come to know you today, that they would know through your people, through the proclamation of your word, and Lord, by the working of your spirit, that they would know that you are true, that you are real, that you are alive and you are well, that you died on the cross for their sins, and that you were buried and you rose again to pay the price for their salvation. And Lord, even as we wrestle through doubts on a personal level, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to bring them to you. To come and always find them as a point of reflection, a point of deep prayer, a point of meditation, but ultimately a point of where we come to a state of trust and active faith in you. Because you are trustworthy and you are good. So Lord, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to go ahead and worship. I'm going to ask you all to stand. And as we worship during this song, we're going to open up this opportunity. We have, plenty, we have people here who would love to pray with you. If you'd like to pray in response to this message, we'd love to pray for you regarding that. But this is a time for us to show love to one another and pray for whatever your needs may be. If it's physical, if it's financial, if it's for salvation, whatever it may be, we'd love to have the opportunity to pray with you. So anytime during this song, please come forward and give us an opportunity to be able to do that. And all of you guys who are in the congregation, I want to encourage you, this is a time for us to, this is not spectator time, this is a time I'd encourage you to worship and pray even where you're at right now as we connect with God and we respond to this message, okay? Let's, let's pray. Man, it's hard not to just stay there. <laughs> um, we're going to have the uh, ushers come forward and we're going to go in and take the offering. And this is another act of worship guys. Um, the reality is is that God doesn't need our money, but money's a tool. Uh, money's an opportunity to show when we give, we show that money doesn't own us, but that it's a tool that God utilizes and gives to us to be able to do His work. The reality is is that it costs money to have a facility like this, to do ministry on earth and to provide things for people. And uh, we thank you for your gracious giving, and uh, we know that God, uh, God approves of when we give as a cheerful giver. So I, I don't take that for granted. So thank you. Let me pray for the offering, and then we're going to go ahead and just have a few announcements. So Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity to give as an act of worship. Lord, I pray that you would cause this offering to multiply, Lord, and to be used for your kingdom work. Thank you that you continue to provide all of our needs, Lord, as a church. And Lord, I pray that you provide all the needs of every individual here as well. And so, Lord, we do love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, thank you, Adrian. Uh, good afternoon, folks.
1: Real quick, coming up on Thursday, which also has to be Thanksgiving, we have our turkey trot at 7 a.m. It's going to be actually in the mid-60s, so cold is not an excuse. Come on out. Um, And I just want to give you a little hint of what's coming. There may or may not be a Cowboys legend in the form of Emmett Smith at the turkey trot. And I can honestly say that because he may or may not be there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Then moving forward, we have the golf tournament on December 10th. Uh, The link to sign up is online. Uh, Please come on out. Even if you're not good at golf, come play. It's a great time. Uh, And then on December 13th, we are having Grief Share. Uh, If you'd like more information
0: about that, please come see me. That's all I have. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Keegan. Uh, Keegan, can I get that mic? Sorry. Sorry. Kathy. Yeah. All right. Before we say our benediction, I'm going to get you all to stand. And before we say that, I want to... There's a tradition that we have at the Pina House that we want to be able to uh, invite you into and we want to provide you a little special gift. So I'm going to have uh, Jen talk a little bit about that. And then we'll go ahead and prayer benediction and get you dismissed. So uh, Adrian and I, when we first got married, we, we really were earnest in wanting to put Christ in the center of Christmas. You know, everything in our culture wars against that. And so we started to do this, use this little devotional every year. Um, as part of our kind of Christmas tradition. And so this has been something we've done for 16 years. Uh-huh. There's a, a daily devotional, um, and we would sometimes do it over breakfast, sometimes do it over dinner, but it was just our intentional way of saying, Lord, we want you to be the center of this holiday season for us. So one of the things that we we did when we were in Jersey and we wanted to do with you guys is this is our Christmas gift to you. We've, gotten, we've purchased one for each family, and we want to encourage you guys to keep... Christ in the center of your Christmas this holiday um, by doing this little Christmas devotional. All right, so at the end, we'd love for you to come forward and we'll go ahead and disperse those out one per family and we'll do it next week as well. So let me pray our benediction over you. May the Lord go before you to light the path and give you direction. May He go behind you to guide your steps. May He go beside you to keep you from stumbling. May He go above you to protect you. May He go within you to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And may our Father in heaven always grant to you character that is greater than your gifts and humility that is greater than your influence. God bless you guys. Love you all so much. You are dismissed.